Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to go ahead and allow the uh, middle school kids to take off with Mr. Eric over there to my right. Go have a, a great, great time. If you're wondering if I understand what time it is, I do. Okay. That's crossed your mind. Actually, since Pastor Chase has come, he's installed a giant clock in the back so that I can't miss it. So, way to go. It was up here. Really? Huh. Yeah. If you say so. Okay. Uh, but no, I won't be bringing the whole message this morning. I think you got the word of the Lord right here a minute ago. Amen? <laughs> but I do, have, uh, I do have features of the message that I think I'd really like to be sure to bring this morning. Uh, and we can do that in our in a normal amount of time. Uh, I want to thank all of you who uh, were part of the conference this weekend. Volunteers, the band, you guys, uh, it was just amazing. The prayer people, it was really just a great time. And Pastor Christian and Pastor Chase, you guys just did a fantastic job with that. We're really grateful. Lord, we bow before you now and just ask your blessing over your word, your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord. Um, we came for you anyway, Lord. So we invite you to come and, and be the teacher, be the speaker, be the mover of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so we're in this sequels uh, series. We were talking about how God wants to write a sequel to our lives. That a sequel is the story that comes after the first story. And that there's a change point. And the Bible is full of sequels of this person who was this way, and then God came, and then they were that way. And we've begun to look at those, those various sequels. Today, I'd like to show you a feature of the development of a sequel called Seeing is Believing, and we'll use as our character one of the most, uh, probably one of the most notable, notable figures in the Bible, the Apostle Paul. And we'll be looking at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. And this passage is a passage about how Saul how he came to the Lord and, uh, in such a dramatic way, and he actually lived a completely different life, a life he himself never could have imagined. And so we're going to kind of race through these for the next few moments here. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. If you have a, a Bible, either a book or on your device, please feel free to have a look at that. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Well, verse 1 is what? It's context, right? Verse 1 is context. I noticed in listening to Pastor Christian's message from last week, he has a cooler way of saying context. He says, the backstory. All right. And that's one of the things that you'll notice, the difference between Christian and I, is he's much cooler than I am in so many thousands of ways, but I'm much more accurate. So... <laughs> Take your choice. Meanwhile, context, meanwhile, meanwhile, doesn't that cause you to want to ask a question? Meanwhile, what? Well, what's going on? Well, if you just look what's happening, the church is just exploding in the power of the Holy Spirit. People are being healed. People are being saved, etc. The church is advancing like a, like, a, like, a, like a rocket. And then it says, meanwhile, that in the midst of all this, Saul was still breathing out murderous, what, still? Wait a minute, when you see the word still, what do you want to say? Like, when, when, did, when did he show up? So this is in his first appearance. Flip back a page, and you'll see in chapter 8, verse 1, at the stoning of Stephen, that this Saul was there giving approval to the death of Stephen. 
Stephen was martyred for his faith. And Saul was there saying, this is what has to be done to these Christians. You keep reading in chapter 8 on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. That's the guy we're talking about. That's the, that's the first part of his life. And so it says in, in our passage, back to our passage, you know, meanwhile, well, it's, Saul is still breathing out murderous threats. If you keep reading verse 2, you see there's more context. He went to the high priest and asked for letters, uh, letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So that was, that was the context. In verses 3 and 4, there's an unforgettable encounter then. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's an unforgettable encounter. <laughs> That's an unforgettable encounter. That's when the first part of the story is coming to its conclusion and the sequel is about to begin. An unforgettable encounter. If you continue to read on and in verse 5, there's a dangerous question that Saul asks. He fell to the ground, and, and he says, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. That is a dangerous question. We don't know the tone of his voice. You might think that because he was so arrogant in his, in his thought about going and killing Christians, that he might have said it like, Well, who are you? From personal experience, from the experiences of others, I have never known a single person who has come into the, encountered the presence of the Lord in any significant way where they weren't driven to their face and said, who are you, Lord? Because this is an unforgettable encounter. And when you encounter the Lord, you're driven down. Who are you, Lord? I think that's how he's saying it. Well, then the Lord uh, answers the question with a non-negotiable demand, which is, well, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. That was a bad answer for him, wasn't it? What? You're Jesus. Wait a second. If you're Jesus, it means you're alive. The reason I'm going after these Christians is because they're preaching this resurrection thing. They're preaching this resurrection heresy. And if you're Jesus, that means I'm wrong. You're alive. You're Jesus. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. <laughs> That's a non-negotiable demand. He didn't say, I want you to think about offering your life to me. I want you to think about integrating my message into your message. He said, I, didn't, I want you to just think about how your, this message of me kind of fits in with your worldview. He said, get up and go into the city and I'll tell you what to do. This is a big change. Saul's response, verses 7 through 9, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him off by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. So he was pretty much at the mercy of others at that point. We're going to go in and do as the Lord has said. 
And then another demand pops up. In Damascus, that's the city where they were now, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. <laughs> I, I love this. There's another demand, verse 10 through 12 here. See Ananias' response? Now, when you hear the voice of the Lord, what do you say? Yes, Lord. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. The Lord's speaking to me. Oh, my gosh. The Lord's speaking to me. Ah, the resurrected Lord just said my name. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Yeah, I know the place. I know the place. Uh-huh. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Eh? <laughs> for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, that would be you, Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Well, then there's an understandable reluctance. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. It's an understandable reluctance. You know, could there maybe be two Sauls of Tarsus? Is, is this the same? You, so he's not quite as excited as he was about hearing the call. And so then, verses 15 and 16, there's a clarification of the call. And it starts with, the Lord said to Ananias, go! <laughs> Can I be any clearer? <laughs> go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name. Can you imagine? The cognitive dissonance that he's experiencing right now, this guy with a reputation of execution of Christians is now God's chosen instrument? He's working this out in his head. It's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Yay! So what does Ananias do? Verse 17 is the profound obedience. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Oh, can you imagine what he must have been feeling like? I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I mean, he kissed his wife and kids goodbye. He said, I'll see you in heaven. All right? And he went in, in unquestioned obedience, profound obedience. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, I love this, Brother Saul. <laughs> we're brothers now. <laughs> I, know, I know who you were yesterday, but <laughs> brother, <laughs> you got to love that, right? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was a good message. It's a great message. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So this is verses 18 and 19. This is the beginning of the sequel. The sequel rolls out with a, with a, a completely changed person who's about to live a completely different life because of his encounter with the Lord. And look at the incredible transformation. Just the next couple of verses, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now, would those have been the same disciples that he went to catch? Yes. Hey, you guys want to hang out? No, I got a thing I got to do. You know, I uh, want to make sure this, this is for real in you. He wants to hang out with the disciples that he came to arrest, imprison, and in some cases, execute. That speaks the word to us. 
God brings people into our fellowship. <laughs> Let's not forget where we came from. Incredible transformation. Look at verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> in Damascus. <laughs> what, a, what a change. And his life, his life just rolls out. And it all pivots around this encounter with his eyes. That he was blind, and now he could see. And the whole world looked different when he could see. That's how God works with us. He, he takes us where we are. He finishes off the blindness, and then he opens our eyes. And the sequel begins when we can begin to see what it is that God wants us to see, what it is God's doing, and how God sees us. That's when the sequel begins. Because the old version of ourself doesn't see what God sees, doesn't see what God's already doing in the world that we could be a part of. And the old version of ourselves just holds on to that wicked thought of who we think we are. And we don't see ourselves as new creations in Christ, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. But with eyes you can see. With eyes you can see. I'd like to ask Atul Pandey, who's one of our elders, to come up here. He knows about this. This isn't a surprise for him, so that's the good news. Not everyone here knows Atul's story. And Come on up and have a seat with me, brother. I just want a few questions that I'd love for you you to share. Um, Atul is one of our elders here at the church. He's a remarkable brother in the Lord. He, um, he brings a power to our eldership that is really unique and wonderful and helpful in so many, many ways. And uh, I, just want, I just want you to hear how his life changed in terms of what he could see because of Jesus Christ in his life. Would you start with give us a thumbnail sketch of your journey to the Lord, would you? Sure. Uh, you know, he's just setting me up, right? <laughs> uh, well, I was uh, born and raised in a Hindu family. Um, I was 36 years old when I came to Christ. Uh, you know, it wasn't just any family. It was a pretty religious, devout Hindu family. Uh, we, we observed all the rituals and the traditions and Worshipped all the gods, you know, there are many gods in Hinduism. Uh, but the way I came to know the Lord, my wife, Lisa, uh, came to this fellowship. And she also uh, belonged to a, to a home group, uh, which is our home group now. Um, but as a Hindu, I would spend a lot of time just going through the Bible, picking a verse, and just trying to destroy it, actually, trying to look at it from every which way and see which way I can make it untrue. And uh, I got put on the uh, prayer list. <laughs> you know what happens when you get put on a prayer list, right? So long story short, I came to know the Lord because he himself yeah. came to me. <laughs> Didn't he? I saw him. And I know there are, there are people here or maybe elsewhere outside of here that would look at me funny when I say that, but I did see the Lord. And, uh, you know, once you, once you go through that, it changes everything. 
When you, you grew up in India and came here as a very young man, and uh, when you returned to India after, because you've made many visits over the years, but after you came to Christ, what, it's been 10 years ago now, something like that, uh, after you came to Christ, how would you say your homeland looked different to you? What did you see that you didn't notice before? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I became a believer in 2006, and uh, in 2008 was the first time I got to go back. Yeah. And it's a pretty long trip. It's like a 16, 17-hour nonstop flight from New York City to, to Bombay. And I remember I wasn't prepared for this. Nobody told me anything about this. I remember the doors opening up, and this darkness just hit me out of nowhere. And it wasn't physical darkness. It wasn't it, it, the lights were on. It wasn't, uh, it's hard to describe, but if you're a believer, if you know Jesus, you yeah. feel it. Yeah. You feel it in your spirit. Yeah. And I remember going through, going to places, and I remember saying to myself again and again, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Because there is so much out there that is clamoring for you. Um, I don't want to, you know, make it sound like there, there's a problem hiding under every little nook and cranny, but it literally is quite like that. Yeah, yeah. So. Were you upset with me that I didn't warn you about that? I, I don't know if I would have believed you if you warned me about it. Yeah. I think you have to experience it yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Um, not only that, it's the believers that are, were, were in India, you also feel this strange resonance, I would call it, with yeah. your heart. Isn't it something? Your, your heart strings vibrate to the same frequency. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that just cannot happen without the Spirit of the Lord. So, so now you're, you're an elder of the church. You're, you actually are the leader of the home group that prayed for your salvation. Amen. Hallelujah. How, how cool is that, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just in general, just to close, uh, I mean, how, how do you feel like your eyes have been opened in general since seeing, since coming to know Jesus as your Savior? I, I don't know if there's anything that's quite the same, actually. Um, I'm still married to the same lovely wife, but mm -hmm. that's probably the only thing that's constant. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a different, it's, it's a different worldview. It's almost like if you get on a train and you know where the train is going, you enjoy the ride a little better. So if you're short of the destination, the journey is a little, it's a lot more enjoyable. Um, you're pretty smart for a guy, you know that? That's, that's really good. I've been working on it. <laughs> Could you introduce your family? Yes, yeah, so I have my wife here, and then of course my mother is sitting there. She is visiting me from India. She came to Christ soon after that Hallelujah. as well. Hallelujah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we got the body of believers here. Can I put a prayer request out? Yes. Okay, so my youngest sister, Aparna, A-P-A-R-N-A, -A -A, uh, used to be a Hindu until two months ago. She's, she came into the family of Christ. She's a believer now. Pray for her because she's a, a single Christian in a joint family of 12 people. They're all Hindus. Just pray for her safety, for no persecution. And the coolest thing is, you know, she doesn't know the Bible, mm -hmm. but the words that come out of her mouth, the way she texts me, mm -hmm. 
you can tell the Spirit of God <laughs> is alive and well. <laughs> praise the Lord. So, praise, praise the, Lord. the Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much. Brother, thank you for your testimony, and do pray for Aparna, and, uh, and uh, the story is much bigger than that, and, and uh, please pray for Aparna, okay? His eyes were opened. They were closed. We're back in the little white building, and we'd have communion, and he'd visit every once in a while. At least it'd probably wear him down. He'd show up in church every once in a while, and I remember one time we were having communion and it was a much smaller church and everything's right up front. And I was so clear. I said, now if you don't know Jesus, don't you, don't you be coming to this table. And I saw him out in the line coming to the table. I thought, what is the matter with that man? God was stirring him. Pastor A. Stephen came once and preached hard and Atul came to that service because there was an Indian preaching and may I say he was so offended by what Stephen said it was kind of like I ain't never going back to that place again God was working in his heart that's how the sequel begins is when we come to him and say God I surrender would you open my eyes now you see, right here in this room, there's stuff going on that we can't see with our natural eyes. Holy Spirit's presence is here. His warring angels are here. God's doing something in this room right now, and Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Well, he was the example for us. Then we need eyes that see what the Father's doing so we can be a part of that, right? Not just here, but out there, everywhere. And what about you? Are you able to say with confidence that you're living out your life from the standpoint of, I, I see myself as God says he sees me? Are your eyes open to your, to your own loveliness in the Lord, to your own strength, men, to the Lord? Some of you want to have your eyes opened up. I, I, I constantly ask. I feel like I get cataracts sometimes. Would you clean those up, please, Lord? Would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing a song as a prayer. I just want to invite you into it, a prayer from your heart, and say, Lord, open, open my eyes. Give me this pivot point in my life. Let the sequel begin, and let the sequel begin with eyes that see. If you have not yet come to Christ as your Savior, if you have not yet made that crossing, that step, Pastor Christian is standing right over here, and Nothing would be more exciting for him or us, and most of all for you. For as we sing this song, you just walk over to Christian and he'll help you. Give your life to Christ, enter into profound relationship with him. And church, you're free to move about as we sing. Just follow the inclination of your heart. So that's where we are this morning, beloved. Uh, last week, Christian brought that message that it starts with a stirring, with a burden. But it never stops there. Your next, your next step, if you will, in the creation of this sequel is saying, may I have eyes now to see what this burden's about, where this goes. 
So I bless the burden in you that God birthed many of you last time, last week. I bless that in the name of Jesus that that wouldn't stop. I bless the resurrection of a previous burden that you used to have that as Christian preachers was kind of put aside. I bless that. And now I just ask Holy Spirit for you to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, so that we can see. We can see the path before us, Lord. We can see the steps that you want us to take to live out in power and strength and grace and mercy this burden that you have placed on us, Lord. God, we thank you for your word. It's so clear, so powerful. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ by what he did for us on the cross. And freely we receive it now, Lord, and walk in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.